This, this, this is you. KUT. KUT, Austin. Stop. This is KUT. I'm Jennifer Staten. The Austin Independent School District Board of Trustees is scheduled to vote Monday night on moving forward with plans to close and consolidate some schools. The district says it wants all students to attend schools with updated facilities and robust programs and that this is the way to get there. But some school board members say the district's moving too fast and have shared concerns from constituents that under-enrolled East Austin schools would bear the brunt of the closures. There are really practical elements to school closures and really emotional elements, too. A beloved school can sometimes be the heart of a neighborhood. I talked recently with the district's chief officer for school leadership, Michelle Cavazos, about all of this. She started by explaining why the district insists closures and consolidations must happen. So as these different people are moving to our city, there more are coming that do not have children or school-aged children. Um, So we have declined in our enrollment by almost just around 7,000 students over the last several years and projected to continue to decrease in enrollment. Um, And so as a result, we have more seats in our current schools than we do, uh, than we have bodies to fill them. So you mentioned decreasing student population and the increasing population of Austin being folks who don't have children. So it's not as much families moving to town, but is the thought that maybe someday, though, they might settle down and there might be more children? Is there any look ahead that far down the road at the demographics? Mm -hmm. We have had a demographic report that does look forecast out several years, and they're really showing with the affordability that for families, especially those starting out who typically have younger children, affordability-wise, it's very expensive to live in Austin. And so more of our families have been moving more to the outskirts where housing is more affordable for families and beginning families. Has the district done things to try to either hold on to the students that might be leaving the district for whatever reason? So maybe their family does move to an outskirt of town. Can students transfer into the district if they move out of town? Yes, we have um, a very open transfer policy for students coming from out of district as well as students within our district. So because of our different programming that we offer at schools, we provide families that opportunity to really self-select into different uh, programs and different sites to access those programs. So we have, I don't know the exact number of students who are uh, attending our schools that are on um, out-of-district transfers, which is what that's called. If you live out-of-district and come in and attend one of our schools, it's an out-of-district transfer. And so we have several families who do that um, because they may work in the city, and they're able to bring their kids with them to attend our schools. Um, So that does boost our enrollment a little bit in that way. What about students who may leave AISD, but they stay in Austin and they go to either a private school or a charter school? Are there efforts to reach out to those students and try to maybe bring them back? Yes, we have. um, And it's part of our facilities master plan that was developed um, a couple of years ago and is is projected for 
is being implemented over several years. We've worked with our communications and some schools were identified for uh, marketing plans. And so we've, a few years ago, you may have noticed, you know, on the radios or on billboards, we had um, big marketing campaigns to attract families to our district. We still have a marketing campaign, but it's really much more um, school specific now. Um, and we go, there's neighborhood walks going and reaching out to families who do live within the tenant zones um, and, and marketing through, you know, whether it's shirts or signage or other kind of gimmies um, to attract students back to our schools. And how has that been working? The schools that were participating in marketing, it did make a um, an increase in our enrollment for those schools in particular. It is making a positive impact, those that were specifically supported through the marketing efforts. Is there any thought about expanding those marketing efforts then to maybe some other schools that haven't been targeted for that yet? We um, have spread some of that also through, as I mentioned earlier, the targeted utilization plans. Now, what is that okay, plan? Great. Yes. So for campuses or facilities that fall below 75% utilization, which means that they're either um, they're using 75% or less of the available space for education, they um, are um, expected to complete this plan that where they identify specific strategies to increase their enrollment. And so it can be increasing student enrollment through marketing efforts, whether it's um, like I mentioned, like uh, community walks or specific marketing or family or community events at the school. It can also involve reaching out um, to partners in the community who would like to partner with the school and use some of the space for their, whether it's their programming or meeting. So we've been talking a lot about enrollment numbers and under-enrollment and declining population, but what we seem to hear a lot of about also is recapture and that AISD is really hamstrung by the recapture system and having to send hundreds of millions of dollars back to the state every year. Now, the legislature is talking about changing that system. If recapture were to change, would AISD still have to be looking at closing and consolidating schools. Would that help with any of this situation? That would most definitely help, but we would still need to be looking at how do we create the best um, 21st century learning environments for our students? Because that's really the driver, the bigger, a big driver of this is ensuring that our students have access to as much programming as possible in facilities that are, you know, well lit and inviting to not only them, but to their families as well. How will the district decide which schools will be closed? Not easily, <laughs> because there's a lot of emotion that's tied to it. You know, when we look at schools, you know, there's for some families, their family's been going to the school for years. It's the cornerstone of the community. So it's not a process or a decision that's taken lightly. So as we look at it, we'll be looking at very one objective criteria, like what's the um, what's the deferred maintenance on a facility, and it, we're looking we'll be looking at every single one of our facilities. And so, when you say deferred maintenance, what exactly does deferred maintenance mean? So that means maintenance that a building may require that we're needing to project out over time to be able to fix. So it could be the heating and cooling, you know, just as a building ages, like when you, when you maintain your car, you, you do oil change every six, three to 6,000 miles. So that deferred maintenance for some of our buildings is over a longer period of time that we're not able to always repair something immediately. 
but there is a, a time frame for it. So there's deferred maintenance. What are some other factors that will go into play in deciding which schools will be closed? Mm-hmm. Other factors will be really looking, um, really, we're considering really this regional scenario and looking at the academic programming within those regions and seeing what's there, what's available, um, what's missing, and what, what can we add, and where do we add that so that families and the whole the community as, as a whole have access to all of her programming within an area that's as close to home as possible. So it sounds like that actually the enrollment numbers, from what you're saying, are not going to necessarily play a part in deciding which schools are going to be closed. Correct. That will not be the only criteria. It will be an element as we look at all of the objective data. Um, So it'll be a piece, but it will not be the only deciding factor because we may have some sites that are under-enrolled that have that cost less to maintain than other sites. How many schools overall does the district believe that it will need to close? I don't. I know that there's. Um, we'd put out a number. Um, I think we'd said maybe twelve to fourteen. But really, at this point in time, we don't have a specific number that we'll be looking at. It's really looking at the objective criteria, and then bringing in some of the guiding principles around equity and access to just to help us with our decision making. And then that will drive. Okay, how many would we be looking at? How many campuses could be impacted? Is there a certain amount of money that the district is looking to realize in savings by taking these steps? Mm-hmm. No, we really is. It's really looking at what's going to be best for our students and their families. How can we provide greater access to programming for our students in environments that are more conducive to learning? Um, the environments have changed. When I look at the schools that I went to, you know, schools still look a lot this very similar in some regards. And we have this amazing opportunity to, to put all of our students in modernized spaces that really inspire them to be all that they can be and prepare them for jobs that don't yet exist. Is redrawing any school boundaries part of this scene? It may be a piece of it as well. Because as we look at these regional scenarios, it may be, and, and we look at an equity lens as well. And what what are we, what all will we be looking at with that equity? Is it financial? Is it um, um, ethnic, ethnically? Is it but, um, programming? And really, in, that big piece of it is the academic programming that students and families have access to. What amount and schedule of community input is the district prepared to take as this plan starts moving forward? I'm thinking of something, even just one of the factors like redrawing boundaries, Mm -hmm. that is always extremely emotional and people have a lot of feelings and thoughts about that. What is the district going to implement to get community input? Mm -hmm. As through each stage or phase of the process, there is community engagement. And so it's looking at, we want to engage the community early and often. There'll be opportunities um, virtually as well as face-to-face so that we can really hear it. These are emotional decisions. You know, thinking as a parent, you know, think, and as a student, okay, where am I going to go to school next year? And what am I going to be able to access? And not next year, but in the future. And so those are very real questions, and we want to engage and plan to engage people all along the way. How tough is the district ready to be in implementing this? Because school closures are emotional, changing boundaries, that can be very emotional. There may be decisions the district has to make that a large parent population is not going to like. 
does the will exist to do that, even if it feels like there's strong opposition? Yeah. I think we are at a point where there is a really strong will. I think that um, that's why it's very key to have a very clear, clearly defined process with community engagement throughout so that at the end when we get to our end result, if we've followed that process, we may not all be, you know, there'd be people that are really happy and others that are not as happy with the outcome. But if we followed a process that we've all agreed on, we we'll be able to make those decisions and work through them and support families and communities through those changes. Is there any concern that as decisions are made and announcements start coming out about closures and consolidations that that may send more students elsewhere? You know, if their neighborhood school closes and they love it and it's been their family Mm -hmm. for generations or they couldn't wait to go to that middle school from this, you know, elementary school, is there concern that this may have a bit of a effective sending a few students away just because they're opting to go somewhere else Mm -hmm. since they can't be where they thought they would be. Mm -hmm. It's really our hope that the way we will be modernized and the way that because of our process that we've proposed, that we'll be very thoughtful in this and take those different elements into consideration and that families will say, I really want to, you know, I'm sad I'm not going to go to this school, but wow, this new place is going to have all these opportunities for me and I'm going to be there. What is the timeline for making these decisions and then starting the implementation of closures and consolidations? Well, the timeline is kind of started in the fall when we just started really kind of discussing it and putting it out there. And then as far as naming, you know, campuses that will be impacted either by receiving students or that will be vacated from students, um, it's been it's between August and October of this year, and then that gives enough time for the community and engagement between now and then, and then during the whole next school year to work with families and support them through that transition, as well as ensuring that the facilities that they will be going to are ready and prepared to receive everyone. That actually sounds really fast. So essentially, if the process to decide starts pretty soon and then is implemented in the 2019-2020 school year for fall of 2020, can it be done that quickly? Yes, actually. So it does seem fast. And but in working with our facilities team, they said, yes, we can get if as long as we have if we know by by October ish at the latest, which campuses would be impacted, that gives them enough lead time to work through the remainder of the year. And then that following summer to have impacted campuses ready to welcome students and families that following fall. And then it also gives us the opportunity to work with families during that remainder of that school year to address questions and concerns and any additional needs as they look at transitioning to the new spaces. So how does all of this planning interact with the most recent bond? Because there's money headed to campuses, there's work started already, lots of plans. How do those two mesh? So, well, like in December, we'll be opening um, at least three of our new modernized campuses, which is really exciting. And I think also our community will be able to see the efforts and the results of that bond and what these modernized spaces can look like. And so it can actually be an inspiration for these other sites that will be impacted for students moving to them. And then that those funds in the bond, it says that they are for um, renovating, repurposing, and So they can be used to support this effort to ensure that the receiving sites are as optimal as possible for students. 
But what if bond money was approved for a campus that then is decided to be closed? That that there's still as part of the um, the bond package, there is there is the um, freedom's not the right word. But, um, I'd have to get the right wording that's written into the bond. But there is the ability to be able to use those funds to modernize any of our facilities. What is the anticipated impact of all of this on on district faculty and school staff? I mean, it sounds like. If you're going from more schools to fewer schools, that would be staff reductions? Actually, as far as teaching staff, they would just be really moving with their kids to any impacted sites. Staff may be moving to different sites as well as their students. It will require less um, administrative kind of costs at each campus. So currently, every campus has a principal and then either a full-time or some part-time assistant principals. So there'd be a reduction in those. And the administrative end, but as far as teachers, for the most part, they're really shifting to new sites. And then our um, attrition rate through each each year really will capture um, any reductions that there might be because there'd be fewer sites. What about custodial staff or cafeteria staff or other sort of campus and facilities-based staff? Mm-hmm. It'd be the same through attrition. So nobody would be losing their positions. They would be going to different sites. It sounds like except some administrators, perhaps. Yes. So we've been talking a lot about closures and consolidations. What will things look like at the schools that remain open, that are consolidated with other schools? What will be happening at those schools? Mm-hmm. So those sites then will be really working with them and the community on welcoming new families and new students. And then there's also the any structural or facility, any changes that might need to be made, as well as looking at what additional resources and programming are we putting into place for those sites. So for example, if we're um, adding dual language to a, a campus, so what are the what are the um, tangible resources that would be needed? What are the staffing resources so that we can ensure that it is ready to be up and running when the next school year starts? How will the district decide which schools get which, which enhanced programming? It, that'll be part of the looking at the regional kind of scenarios and seeing what already exists in those spaces and what doesn't. And then determining what is the, that'll be another deciding factor in which schools um, are consolidated into because of what does the physical space look like to welcome, um, you know, creative arts, you know, if that's a programming that, or STEM or STEAM, you know, what are, what's the physical space need to look like for that? So if all of this rolls out, as we've been discussing, it's, it's a relatively short timeline, some students will be switching schools that could be as you know soon as 2020, or they may be in a school that's going to be closed. What is the district planning to sort of minimize that feeling of disruption? I mean, if you're a little one, like maybe kindergarten or first grade, and all of a sudden you're going to a new place, that's a big change. It can be a big change. And so that's a piece of that whole family and community engagement through that whole, from the time that campuses are identified through the first day of school, that we really are welcoming those students and families, um, and whether it's through lessons in the classrooms and working with their counselors and teachers to family engagement activities throughout um, until the first day of school, and even beyond the first days of school. Michelle Cavazos is Chief Officer for School Leadership for the Austin Independent School District. Michelle, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you.